Wonderful to be here today at First Baptist Church, Coleman. This is the first time I've had the pleasure of worshiping in this beautiful sanctuary. Thank you. Thank you so much for the warm welcome that you have extended already, even if at 8 o'clock in the morning, 8 o'clock warriors. This is early. Y'all do church early in Coleman. Um, wonderful to see a sanctuary full of smiling faces. We have worshiped the Lord already this morning. Amen. Um, I was so grateful to hear of uh, your former pastor's connections to Samford and to Howard College. Indeed, uh, this church and Howard and Samford share so many relationships and connections. Of course, so many in this church count Howard and Samford as their alma mater. Um, and uh, we have lots of students coming from this church, uh, alumni in this church. Um, I think we might even have a couple of employees in this church. If you have any kind of connection whatsoever to Howard College or to Sanford University, either because you're an alum, you're a parent, former or current, uh, you've got uh, a family member who's a graduate, would you just raise your hand real quickly? Thank you. Wonderful. Well, um, I was reminded of your pastor's, Pastor Tom's connections to Sanford when I was in his office earlier this morning. Uh, he has his Sanford diploma proudly displayed there, uh, earning his uh, doctorate in ministry at Sanford in 2021. In fact, I, I realized after reading his diploma that uh, Pastor Tom's diploma was probably one of the very first that I was privileged to give out, hand out as Sanford's president back in December of 2021. Beeson Divinity School, uh, where Tom uh, studied, uh, has their graduation ceremony about a week before everybody else's graduation ceremony. And uh, so I figured his was one of maybe the very, very first that I was privileged to hand out, which is a neat connection. I was also in his office this morning and I was looking at, um, if you've been in there, you'll see that Pastor Tom has the entire year scripted out on his wall. It's actually quite impressive. You should be encouraged to know that your pastor thinks very carefully about sermon series and about the, the, the teaching life, the ministry life of this church. So I was reading to see what you all are doing in Matthew and what you've done earlier this year, and I got down to the bottom of the calendar, and it said November 5th, and there was a big question mark. And I realized this morning, I'm the fulfillment of that question mark this morning. I hope I can live up to those standards uh, well. Uh, I have been back at Sanford now for just a little over two years as president. As was mentioned, I got to spend five glorious years as dean of the Brock School of Business at Sanford before I left for the Pacific Northwest. If you know anything about the Pacific Northwest, you know that that is one of the most unchurched parts of the world a very different kind of ministry environment than here in Alabama. Uh, some colleagues on Sanford's campus have come to call that the 11-year Sanford training, presidential training program. Uh, I was a slow study. Um, but just so grateful, so very grateful that the Lord has brought Julie and me, our youngest daughter, Chloe, who is an Alabamian, the only real Alabamian in the family, Back to Sanford. Sanford is such a special place, as many of you know. Sanford is a, a, a quality institution of higher learning, but, but not just that. It's an institution of higher learning that invites students to a sacred geography. And that sacred geography is the intersection of Christian faith and learning. 
You see, at Sanford, it's not just good enough for us to provide students with a 21st century education. We do that to prepare them well for lives after graduation. Certainly they are. But we feel compelled because of our now nearly 182-year-old mission to invite students to claim the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, even as, and especially as, God is shaping them to become the women and men that he, he wants them to be. And so what a very special place. As you know, very few institutions of higher learning today continue to claim the name of Jesus, even as they uh, participate in higher education. I'm so very grateful to be part of an institution that claims that um, proudly. As the president of a Christian university, it is my duty from time to time to, to preach. Um, I do that most often in chapel on, at 10 o'clock on Tuesdays on Sanford's campus. Nearly 1,200 students gather, and it's my privilege from time to time to, to preach in chapel. But occasionally, about 12 times a year, I get uh, around the country and, in fact, around the world and have the, the privilege of opening up God's Word and preaching in churches that are connected to Sanford University. Now, before I preach this morning, I, I think it's important for you to know that I'm not, even though I just said I do from time to time get to open up God's Word and preach, I'm not a very experienced preacher. And in fact, I'm not a trained theologian either. Uh, in fact, I'm an economist by training. Um, I may not be the first Sanford president to preach in this beautiful church, but I can almost guarantee you I'm the first economist to ever uh, preach in this church. It reminds me of the old joke that God created economists only to make weather forecasters look good. Um, that's, my, that's my claim to fame. But in all seriousness, new friends, I stand before you as a sinner, but as a sinner saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. What a privilege it is to be with you this morning and to open up God's Word to see what God has to share with us this morning. My theme verse when I have the privilege of preaching is out of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the first three verses, where Paul says, When I come to you, brothers and sisters, I do not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words or great wisdom, for I have decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified. And so I come to you in weakness, friends. I come to you in fear and in much trembling. That is kind of my posture before you this morning. So now that I've lowered all of your expectations, we can get started this morning. One of the great privileges when I guess preach is that often the pastor, as Pastor Tom has done this morning, has allowed me to pick my own verse, right? And so why not, right, preach from a passage that is one of my favorites? And that's what we're going to do this morning. The passage that we'll look at today is from John's Gospel, chapter 21. It's the very last chapter of the book of John. It's one of my favorites, as I mentioned. And I would encourage you to take out your own personal copy of God's Word and follow along with me. We're going to read verses 1 through 19, chapter 21 of John's Gospel. Hear the Word of God. Now afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples, this time by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way, Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, 
the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going to go out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Jesus called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Fishermen love that, right, when people stand on the shore and critique their fishing. No, they answered. So Jesus said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then, then, the disciple whom Jesus loved, we know that to be John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off. It was hot. They were fishing. And he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, we're told, exactly 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And now this interaction with Peter. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And at this point, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him for the third time now, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Then Jesus said, feed my sheep. For very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, your word, which we have just read, is the source of light in our lives, and through it you give light to our souls. So now, Lord, we pray, pour out on us the spirit of wisdom and understanding that our hearts and minds may be open to know your truth and your way. Amen. One of my favorite Bible passages of all time, I think. We all have our favorite Bible characters, perhaps. You can name yours or some of yours. One of my favorites happens to be Peter. Peter. 
And I like Peter. I love Peter because I can relate to Peter. I don't know how many of you feel like you can relate to Peter. Peter, we know, is the one on whom Jesus proclaimed, I will build my church. Peter, Petra, right? The rock. I will build my church on your shoulders, Jesus said. And yet, we know this from reading scripture time and time again, Peter doesn't always do the right thing. He doesn't always say the right thing. We in Alabama would say he has foot and mouth disease, right? (laughs) Peter often embarrasses himself. He does it repeatedly. He's bold. He's brash. We might say that Peter is an external processor. How many external processors are there in the room, right? We lit words get out of our mouth before we really think about them. I make a lot of mistakes like Peter. And so I like Peter because I can relate to him. Yet, and this is, this is the assurance for people like me, yet Jesus chooses Peter. Jesus loves Peter. Jesus never gives up on Peter. And indeed, Jesus does build his church in and through Peter, despite all of Peter's many flaws and bad characteristics. Now, many of us are also familiar with the story in which Peter denies Jesus, right? We, we're familiar with this story. In some ways, the story, in many ways, the story we just read serves as almost the bookend to that first story, right? The last time Jesus and Peter were together, we're sure, was on the night that Jesus was arrested. Peter swore then to Jesus. He swore that he would never desert Jesus. He would never abandon Jesus. Yet when questioned by the bystanders there outside of the place where Jesus was being held on trial, we know that Peter denied. Peter rejected Jesus three times. Why? We don't know exactly. Probably simply because Peter feared for his own life, his own safety. And so in an instant, right, Peter goes from boasting about sticking with Jesus to the very end to being a coward. And not just a coward, but a coward who breaks his promises. It was undoubtedly, we can imagine, one of the lowest, if not the lowest point in Peter's life. But again, I can relate. Can you? I'd like to think that if I were put in the exact same position that Peter was put in that very evening during Jesus' trial, that I would somehow rise to the occasion, right? You'd like to think that. That somehow in the face of danger, I would claim Jesus as my Lord and Savior, no matter the consequences. That I would not reject, I would not abandon Jesus in Jesus' time of need. But friends, I come to you this morning with a confession. And that confession is that, indeed, I do deny Jesus from time to time. I do deny Christ in certain ways. I deny, for example, I deny Christ and what he's done for me in my life when my words and my actions do not reflect the love and the grace that the Lord has extended me. I deny Christ when I succumb to my own selfish thoughts 
in actions, when I drown out the needs of others, I deny Christ and who he really is in my life when I do those things. I deny Christ when I rebel against God's commandments, when I lie, and when I gossip, when I hoard material possessions, when I dishonor my parents, when I provoke my wife and my children to anger. You see, sin is denial, is it not? It's denial of who and what God is in our lives and the salvation and forgiveness of sin, the life of grace and truth that we now get to live in Christ Jesus. Sin is denial. And when we sin, we deny Christ. I'm no better than Peter. It's easy, isn't it, to be pretty critical of Peter. But in my most honest moments, I have to confess to you that I'm no better than Peter. We're no better than Peter. I might like to think that I would have stood the test if I was put in Peter's shoes, but I know that I probably would have failed too. But here's the good news this morning. Here's the good news. Peter's story, which is indeed all of our stories, doesn't end there. We have hope through the grace and truth of Jesus by the death and resurrection of Christ, we are forgiven. Amen? Through grace, Jesus restores Peter. And by grace, Jesus restores each one of us as well. So here's a little bit of context then for John chapter 21. At this point in the story, the disciples are very likely scattered, right? Jesus has died on the cross. He has been buried in a tomb. He has made two previous appearances as a resurrected Lord to the disciples and to others. But the disciples have mostly scattered. And not by any surprise to anyone, they've gone back to their livelihoods, right? They've gone back to the places that they're most familiar. So it's no surprise to us to see Peter and his buddies fishing on this particular day. You'll recall that when Jesus was gathering his disciples early in his earthly ministry, when he met Peter, what was Peter doing? Peter was fishing, right? And with two simple words, Jesus draws Peter out of that livelihood to walk the earth with Jesus for three years. And those two simple words were, follow me, follow me. They've seen Jesus a couple of times, we read, since the resurrection, and I have to wonder, what were those interactions like between Peter and Jesus? In the upper room, for example, when Jesus shown himself to the disciples, we, we don't read of any interactions between Peter and Jesus. You know, it's a little bit of homiletical license here, but I, I kind of think maybe Peter was a little embarrassed. He might have been a little sheepish maybe kind of standing in the back, in the corner of the room. How is Jesus going to react to me knowing that I rejected him three times when Jesus needed him most? Was he hiding out of embarrassment or shame? Had they shared any words? We don't really know. I think I would have been hiding in the corner. I don't know how many of you would join me. The last time Peter spoke to Jesus, he promised the Lord his undying loyalty, right? And yet when pressed because he was afraid he might die, we know that Peter lied about his relationship with Jesus. I think he was a little embarrassed 
I think he was a little ashamed. I wonder how many of us have experienced extravagant, unexpected forgiveness. How many of us have experienced extravagant, unexpected forgiveness? Unexpected in that it would have, we would have never predicted that someone would have forgiven us after what we had done. Extravagant in that the forgiveness offered was at least as great or maybe even greater than the offense. I was a first year graduate student at Purdue University. And like many first year PhD students, I was assigned a recitation period of undergraduates. These were undergraduates that were taking an intro to economics course. And as a PhD student, not a very experienced one, I might add, I was given the responsibility to meet for an hour with a group of about 50 undergraduate students for what essentially was a study hall every Friday. And I really enjoyed my time with these 50 undergraduates. We had fun together. They struggled with the course like most economic students do, but we got through it together. And we began to uh, form a bond, right? One of the tasks that I had each and every Friday was to give a quiz. It was a simple quiz, a five-question quiz. It was really more to kind of give an incentive for the students to kind of keep up in the class, right? So we were in about the 13th or 14th week of the class. I could tell that the students were a little down that Friday. They had previously not done so well on their exam. That might be more of a reflection of their recitation teacher than their own knowledge. And uh, I made a decision in the spur of the moment. And I said, look, let's take this quiz. And then after we take the quiz, we're going to go through each of the questions. And you'll be able to correct your answers. And y'all get you know, a perfect five out of five on this quiz. They thought that was great. Everybody left a little bit happier. I felt good about myself, maybe because I was well-liked among the students. And, um, but what I didn't realize in my naivete, and my inexperience was that it wasn't just my 50 students were taking that quiz. It was 30 sections of, the, of 50 students taking that quiz that Friday. All of their recitation period teachers did not give them the answers, right? So you can immediately decide that was a little unfair, right? So that was a Friday. Saturday morning, the uh, major professor of that class, who also happened to be my dissertation professor, called me. And I'll never forget this phone call. Saturday morning, about 9 o'clock, my wife Julie was in the kitchen with me. I answered the phone. It was John, my dissertation advisor. He said, Beck, good morning. Uh, Listen, I just heard a student was complaining that you gave... Uh, basically a perfect score to all of your students yesterday. Um, Don't know if that's true or not. Just kind of wanted to know, is that what happened? And in my panic, I said, no. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't don't know what, what, I I don't know. I I don't think that's what happened. Okay, fine. Thanks, Beck. We'll, We'll get to the bottom of it. I hung up. I looked at Julie. She said I was white as a sheet. I said, Julie, I just lied to John. I just lied to the person. My future (laughs) is in his hands, basically. She said, you got to call him back. You got to call him back. So maybe a couple minutes passed. I rang John. I said, John, I don't know what came over me. Maybe I had a Peter moment. I don't know what came over me, but I just lied to you. 
In fact, I did do what the student was complaining about, and I'm very sorry. I'm sorry that I didn't anticipate the problems that would cause, but more than that, I'm sorry that I lied to you. John said, Beck, thank you for calling. I understand why you were nervous. Um, We'll get to the bottom of this, and we'll take care of it. Do you know that not only did John become my dissertation advisor, we became best friends. And he would often point back to that conversation and that incident as being the foundation of our relationship. Extravagant, unexpected forgiveness, right? John had every right to run me out of the program, right? I wouldn't be standing here in front of you today had he done that. Extravagant, unexpected forgiveness. In our story today, Jesus offers Peter that same kind of forgiveness. Extravagant, unexpected. And the conversation between Jesus and Peter reflects the love and the incarnational ministry of Christ in all of our lives, I think. The way Jesus forgives Peter testifies to the friendship they shared and the deep love, the deep, deep love that Jesus had for Peter. That Jesus asks Peter three times if he loved him is, of course, a reflection of, isn't it? Or a response to the three times that Peter denied Christ. Now, I assume that it would have been very easy for Peter simply to, or for Jesus, excuse me, to very simply say, Peter, you're forgiven. I forgive you. But in asking Peter about his love for Jesus three times, Jesus gives Peter a very important gift, doesn't he? A very important gift. By expressing his love for Jesus three times, Peter is able to claim forgiveness in a way that seems more whole, kind of more complete, right? It wraps the offense, the entire offense around in Jesus' love. By asking Peter three times, Jesus is not covering Peter's sin up. No, he's not running from it. He's drawing attention to it, but he's not rubbing Peter's nose in it. Rather, Jesus asked Peter three times so that Peter can experience the depth of Jesus' forgiveness. What a gift. What a gift. Friends, there are three quick lessons that I want us to take away from today's story. First is this. When we sin, when we sin, despite our first instincts to run and to hide from Jesus, we shouldn't hide from Jesus. We should run to Jesus. We should swim to Jesus, right? We should drop everything and run to Jesus. As I mentioned earlier, I can imagine that Peter might have been a little sheepish around Jesus in those first days following the resurrection. I know I would have been. In fact, that's our common response to sin, is it not? Think about original sin, the first sin, Adam and Eve. What was their first response to sinning against the Lord. They hid themselves. They ran from. They were embarrassed. They covered themselves. They wanted to extract themselves from the just God. We avoid God, perhaps because uh, we're embarrassed. Our prayer life is impacted. We know this. We might ignore God for a season because we're embarrassed or don't feel worthy. We listen to that small voice in our head that says, oh, you've done it this time. There's no way the Lord is going to forgive you for this. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure Jesus was just as amazed as everyone. 
just as celebratory as everyone in rejoicing in Jesus' resurrection and appearances. But the scriptures don't point to a conversation between the two of them until this beach scene that we've read this morning. I love this. I absolutely love this scene. When Peter realizes he's had enough, Peter's had enough, When Peter realizes that it's Jesus standing on the beach, Peter puts on his clothes and he jumps in, right? He doesn't even wait for the boat to get to shore. He swims, we're told, 100 yards. Any swimmers in here? 100 yards, that's a long way, friends. He swims to to the beach. That's the Peter we know and love, right? That's the Peter we know and love. Friends, when we sin and we will, let's run to Jesus. Let's not hide ourselves. He's there waiting He's there waiting to restore us. All we have to do is confess our failures through our contrition, acknowledge that his ways are in fact better than ours. And just like with Peter, Jesus wants to restore his relationship with us. Not now, not later, but now. Let's run toward, not away from Jesus. Scripture tells us that there's nothing in the universe. Friends, there's nothing in the universe that will separate us from the love of God found in Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus is there waiting. The second lesson this morning is that unconfessed sin in our lives, the kind of unconfessed sin that Peter was carrying after the night of Jesus' trial, that unconfessed sin can be a barrier to being the person that God is calling us to be, a barrier to the ministries that God is wanting to give to each one of us the ways that God wants to summon us into the world. Jesus had big plans for Peter. Upon this rock, I will build my church, Jesus proclaimed. But there was no way, there was no way that Peter was going to live into that vocational calling. There was no way that Peter was going to be able to participate in the vision of bringing Christ's church without this interaction without being fully restored by Jesus. Friends, that's what happens when we receive forgiveness. We are once again reminded of God's unexpected and extravagant love for us. That unconditional love fills us, and then by God's Spirit, we are enabled to carry out the ministries that God is calling us to. But when we're hiding from Jesus, when we're running from Jesus, when we carry unconfessed sin in our lives. We are ashamed because we haven't acknowledged the many ways we fall short of the plans that he has for our lives. It's impossible for us to live fully into our identities as fallen but redeemed people, redeemed to carry the good news of Jesus Christ to all corners of our world. When we're hiding from Jesus, we carry unconfessed sin. It's hard for us to be the vessels of ministry that God is calling us to be. Unconfessed sin keeps us from fully reflecting God's grace to the world. So let's not get in the way of that, friends. Let's not get in the way of that. Let's allow God to use us for the purposes and callings that he's designed each one of us to fulfill. The third lesson for us this morning is this. We are called to be the hands and feet of Christ in a broken world. That is why we are redeemed. That is why we are reconciled. That is why Jesus has reclaimed us from our sin is because Christ wants us to be his hands and feet in a broken world. As Jesus 
forgives Peter. And as Peter regains his identity in Christ through forgiveness, Jesus reminds Peter that he has a ministry to fulfill. When we claim Jesus' forgiveness, friends, we are reminded that we have ministries to fulfill. Three times after Peter acknowledges his love for Jesus, Jesus says, feed my lambs, tend to my sheep, feed my sheep. In other words, Jesus is telling Peter, serve my people. Serve my people. We are forgiven in Christ. We claim our identities through Christ as adopted heirs in God's family. And God, by his mercy, God, by his generosity, places us in vocations, each of us, in areas of ministry to reflect the love and grace of Christ to a world that needs it so desperately, so desperately. Through forgiveness and restoration, we are reminded of our true identities And therefore, we can go into the world to be Christ's hands and feet. At Samford, we talk a lot with our students about those vocations. And at Samford, we try to acknowledge that God calls each of us into areas of ministry, not just ordained ministry, folks that you would normally see preaching out of a pulpit or leading a Bible study, but all of us are called in our workplaces, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our churches to various vocations. And in each one of those places, friends, God has work for us to do. God has work for you to do. God wants you to feed his sheep in whatever location, in whatever context, in whatever profession, whatever place of work, whatever neighborhood, whatever circumstance he's brought you to. He wants you to serve his people. Now, as I conclude, I... um, I've sat through enough sermons to know the value of a three-point sermon. But I've got a fourth point this morning. This one's free. And that fourth point is this. As we take up our identities through the forgiveness that Christ offers, a forgiveness obtained on the cross, we too were told. Jesus reminds Peter of this. We too bear our own crosses. Take up and Take up your cross and follow me, Jesus reminds us. Jesus doesn't promise Peter or us that our ministries, our lives in Christ will be easy or without burden, without trial, or that we can avoid challenging circumstances. That's not what Jesus promises at all. As Jesus in this story restores and recommissions Peter to the work, to the ministry on that beach, Jesus also reminds Peter and he reminds all of us that he too will suffer the cross. That there will be a time when Peter is led where he does not want to go, shunned and mocked and killed for his relationship with Jesus. Church tradition holds that Peter was also crucified, but crucified upside down. I've actually been to the spot just outside of the Vatican, Vatican Hill they call it, the spot where church tradition holds that the emperor Nero hung Peter upside down on a cross and killed him because of his faithful witness. This sobering reminder is one that we should all be careful to remember. There is joy, isn't there? There is fulfillness, fullness, abundance, and meaning as we live for Jesus. But those are states of the world that transcend our circumstances, right? We we are to be all of those things, in spite of, despite the circumstances we might find ourselves in. Circumstances which can often be wrought with trial and with difficulty, with 
persecution and ridicule perhaps, and in Peter's case, even, even death, even death on a cross. The relationship that God restores through forgiveness with Peter and with all of us is an eternal one, not an earthy one, earthly one, not a temporal one, an eternal one. You see, eternity is our horizon, not difficulty, not setback, not disappointment, or even death. God is faithful. God is faithful to meet us in our challenges. So, friends, this morning we are reminded that Jesus restores. Jesus restores us to a relationship that's bigger than any of our own sin. Sin is serious, but as Chloe used to tell me when she was little, God's grace is seriouser. Jesus restores us to a relationship that prepares us, right? Prepares us for ministry. Jesus restores us so that we can withstand the complexities, even the setbacks of the ministries that God is calling us to. And Jesus restores us to a relationship that's bigger than death because Jesus conquered death for all of us. Friends, through the life and the death and the resurrection and the present reign of Jesus Christ and through faith in him, your sins are forgiven. You are restored. So now go. Go and take care of this world. Jesus says, go and take care of my people. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for restoring Peter to the ministry you called him to. Because of Peter and the earthly saints, your church was established. We pray that we would be restored as well by your saving grace. May we faithfully live into the various callings, the various vocations, the ministries you've called us to, to serve your church, to serve your people and this broken world. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for your love and your faithfulness. For it's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.